I said the Lord is good. All right, let's, let's open our Bible to the book of Luke chapter 19. We have been reading from Revelations and we are going to go back there in a moment. Today is going to be the final conclusion of um, what we have been speaking on for some time concerning the words of the Lord Jesus, the letter he wrote to his churches, the message he has to his church. And we have explained that that message is for every individual. The message is not only for those churches. And even when he wrote to those churches, he identified the problems that um, were prevalent in each church and wrote a letter to them based upon that. But he expected each individual to respond to those things. That is, he may have written to the church in Sardis, but he expected somebody in the church in Philadelphia to also pay attention. He may have written to the church in um, uh, Smyrna, but he expected somebody in Thyatira to pay attention. He may have written to the church in Ephesus, but he expected the church in Laodicea to also pay attention to the thing he initially appeared like he was saying only to the church um, in Ephesus. So everybody is supposed to pay attention. Now, where's everything going? That's what I want to summarize today. And that's what I want us to read from the book of Luke chapter 19 again, before we go back to that Revelation chapter 3. Now, let's go to verse 11. It said, Now, when they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. That was their assumption. And Jesus wanted to teach them something about the kingdom of God appearing. What they were expecting was not going to come at that time, but he wanted them to know that they had to prepare for the coming of that kingdom, that he was going to leave to go and capture the kingdoms. That's when the kingdom of God will come. Now, so bear it in mind. So he said to them, because they were expecting the kingdom to appear immediately, now, he was saying to them, you are not yet ready to receive the kingdom. Verse 12, so he said to them, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And what did he do? Verse 13, he called 10 of his slaves and gave them 10 minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that those slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him, so that he might know what business they had done. The first appeared, saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you have been faithful in a very little thing. He said, you are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came saying, your mina master has made five minas. And he said to him also, and you are to be over five cities. And that came saying, master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down. And reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. He said, Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I will have collected it with interest. And he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give to him to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, he has ten minas already. In verse 26, the master said, I tell you 
to everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Now after this, he now continued his journey to Jerusalem. Now, let me, you can look up from the reading, please. Now, what I just want to emphasize again is that the Bible told us this. This was um, Luke explaining to us what happened. That when Jesus was going to Jerusalem, what happened was that the people were expecting the kingdom of God to come. He used that expectation of theirs to explain a principle, which is what I want to bring out this evening, which um, sometimes we may overlook. Now, he was saying in effect uh, that the kingdom cannot come until you guys are prepared. That is, before I return, even though I'm right now going to collect the kingdom, I have to prepare people who will take charge when that kingdom comes. You know, they were busy like, will you bring the kingdom now? And the Lord was saying, listen, if I were you, I would not be concerned about the kingdom coming quickly. I would be more concerned about my own preparedness to receive the kingdom when it will come. The master is going to receive the kingdom, but he is going to return and distribute that kingdom to his servants, to his slaves. All right? When you use the word servant, they are slaves, saying the same thing, or are born servants, those who are dedicated fully to him. They are the ones that will rule over those kingdoms. He is not going to rule the kingdoms by himself. The kingdom will have many aspects. It will have many cities. That's what he's referring to. And each person will have to be prepared to take his own portion in that kingdom. And for the kingdom of the Lord to come, it must be, well, there are many variables. But one major thing is that his people are ready. He doesn't believe in waste. You understand my point? He doesn't like things to waste because if he receives the kingdom and he doesn't have enough people to rule over them, it would have been a wasted effort. So what he's doing first of all, which is what he was understanding to the disciples, is don't be so concerned about whether the kingdom is coming. I'm going to leave you with gifts. I'm going to leave you with talents. I am going to leave for now. All right, you won't see me for some time, but I'm going to return to you. When I return to you, you must have done certain things with your minas. You must have multiplied your minas. If you are a good servant, if you took it to the maximum, because you see, there's one direct prince said, I'm not being dogmatic about that, but I think it's something that's worthy of note. He said, You will notice, he said, Well done, good and faithful slave, to only the one that did ten. The one that had five, all right, you did okay. The one that, <laughs> you understand? The only one he said to, well done, good and faithful, was the one that returned and said, I've made ten more. Now, this is my interpretation of that, that we are supposed to exert it to the fullest. God has given us stuff. He has given us visions. He has given us a skill. He has given us anointings that we are supposed to use to do things. We are supposed to maximize it, not just do things so as to get by. One of the things we have to be careful about in life, you know, when I'm teaching students sometimes, you know, I'm trying to tell them about how to answer questions in exams. I say, I've noticed a lot of them, they go for the minimum to pass with. Now, I teach in a college of medicine where there's no first class, there's no second class, there's no third class. You understand? There's nothing like that. We have only two things, pass or fail. You understand my point? Everybody passes or fails. Occasionally, you are awarded distinction. That's it, which does not show up in your certificate. You can get a testimonial. And you don't get a distinction for your six years in school. You get a distinction for a subject. So you may get a decision in anatomy. And you have to just get a testimonial and hold it to brand, brand it to somebody one day. When are they school? 
I may pass anatomy like crazy. That's all. You understand? So, generally, 99.5% of students, all right, just want to pass. Because once they have passed, they have passed. There's no grade A pass, grade 2 pass, all right? For that reason, I detect something about them. When you're marking scripts, you see people who I, who I, I, I say they do minimal, you know, um, um, writing. When you give them an essay, say, describe the way to Enugu, you understand, from Monitor. They say, there's a road that goes straight from Monitor to Enugu. And you know, really, <laughs> yeah, the guy knows the road from Monitor to Enugu. But I get really, really unhappy with them because I say, you see, if you have four questions and you do like that, I'm forced to give you maybe 50, 50, 50, which over 100, which is our pass mark actually in each question. I say, but there will be one you don't know. And you drop down and that's if you fail overall. That you see, you should be robust when you are talking, all right? Explain that in your nature. The road comes out of your nature. After the old toll gate, it dips down like this. It curves to the left, five degrees this way. You get to the first town. Describe, speak like somebody who knows the road. So by the time I'm scoring you, I give you the maximum mark available. A lot of us do that with life. Some people ask you questions like, you see, is this a sin or is it not a sin? The other day, somebody was asking some things about uh, one of our brothers. He asked a question. I, at one, I got angry with him because we talked extensively. He said, thank you for all the explanation, but he's still asking, is it a sin or is it not a sin? I said, what are you getting involved in? In legalism. Because it, it, had, to be, it had to do with something that the Bible says nothing about. All right, that, okay, this was the question. Um, some women abroad, not common in Nigeria. I'm sure people here have done things like that also. That's by our country. But over there, they do it a lot. As a woman, you don't have all the time in life to give birth to children. You know, we, we, men have it. You know, a man is 82, is still having children. You know, that kind of thing. Men do things like that. But women have a very narrow, all right, it's from your teenage years to, let's just pick it at 50. It's kind of narrow. So, they are doing career and all of that. So, they go and freeze their eggs. All right? They freeze the eggs so that when they have finished everything, they don't have time to have children, they now pull out the eggs and they fry it. You get my point? Now. <laughs> and, uh, you know what I mean, okay? <laughs> you, you get the concept. Now, the question now is that Christians are now doing that is it, is it, did my brother not ask, is it a sin? So God was started talking. Now, first of all, I can assure you of something. I am not, a, well, I would not know what I can assure you. I can't, I can't think of any scripture where the Bible says, thou shalt not freeze thy eggs. Can you think of any? If you read very closely, maybe you will find one. I haven't found. I've read the Bible a bit, you know, read quite a bit of it. I have not found it. That question has never come up for me to start addressing it, Okay. So anyway, this is our brother. He's a gynecologist. So he wanted to know, because people come to him for counsel and all of that. So let's get a Christian perspective to it. And just, by the way, there is a Christian perspective to everything. Every single thing. Every single thing. And it is righteousness for you to say, what does God have to say about this in my life? When David talked about observing thy testimonies, that's what he was talking about. There are many things that you cannot point to one particular verse of scripture to say this. But, you know, there's a customized commandment about it in which you just read and by interacting with, with the word of God, you know what is right and what is wrong. Sometimes those things are just applicable to one generation because, for example, now this one I'm talking about now, they didn't have this problem the last generation. Right? The technology was not there. It's new technology, which people are now trying to take advantage of. So, now I'm not going to discuss it at all before, in case you are waiting for my answer. Just forget the answer. Are you getting my point? So we talked at length. Okay, it was a chat group, brethren. 
So people will say this. People will, of course, just to help you a bit, some things like that, there's a way you approach them. Usually when you go behind and find what is pushing people, you start having an idea of whether it is good or bad. And many things in life, since God did not give a categorical statement, you have to judge based on other parameters. All right? So that day we spoke at length. And at the end of the day, my brother spoke. And I said, all right, thank you very much. He has heard everything. But nobody has answered this question. Which is what? Is it a sin or is it not a sin? At that point in time, I got angry. Now, you see, what, what annoyed me was that, listen, this is not, this is not um, legalism. I told him, I said, what do you want? A legalistic answer, which breaks down the whole principle of Christianity. That's what grace is. Right? That's why you start applying the principles of grace. Grace is very different from legalism. Legalism is when you set a set of rules and regulations and you want to check them off as a way of pleasing God. You can never get it right like that. You can never get it right like that, okay? You know, grace and truth is different. Grace, let me just summarize, like, it's about loving the Lord so much that you're always probing, you know, you're probing. You want to be sure you are pleasing to Him. It's not just check, 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 you know? They say that, look, oh, um, uh, your skirt must not be shorter than this. And then you know, they say your skirt must not be higher than, let's say, your, the middle of your kneecap. You're not going to measure it to the exact middle of the kneecap. So you go as close as possible to the law and keep it there. So if once in a while we find you say, why is your skirt shorter than your kneecap? You will straighten it that it's because of the wrinkle. When I made it, it was my neck. So you know, it's that, there's some foolish and stupid and stupid thing that I see ladies do on the road, always pulling down their cloth. Can't you see that he's always jumping? He said, the other, then you even like this. He said, is your head correct? Please, you're a woman, stop doing such silly things. That's problem with legalism. So I told my brother, I said, listen, listen, listen. This is not legalism. Everything we have explained to you now, you should know that we have said enough for you to be able to counsel people on what is pleasing to God. You can't roll out into life with right and wrong. Because actually, you will find situations in which it is actually right. Let me give an example. Somebody is going for cancer treatment. It's normal part of cancer treatment in advanced countries. When you give somebody cancer treatment, you kill off all the, all the eggs. They die off. So, before they start, they pull them out and freeze them. Is it not freezing? It's freezing or freezing. But the difference, you know, is beginning to creep in as to why. It's standard. You want to take a young woman and give her anti-cancer treatment. Doctors do that where things are well established. Ma, you still want to have kids? Yes. We think we can knock out this cancer. We'll treat you very well to go. Let's see what we can do. But before we start, you want to have kids? Yes. Let's pull out your eggs. They fill her with drugs and all of that, pump up the eggs, pull as much as possible out and freeze it. See? Straight down the change. So how do you do right or wrong? That's the beautiful thing about Christianity. That's the power of grace. It works differently. Now back to the why I went to that. You see, when you start going to this, is it a sin or is it not a sin? You end up mocking on edge. And now what I want to explain to you, that's why I went to all of that, is for you to understand that God is not just satisfied with yes or no. He satisfies what he calls excellence. A man came with five minas. That's not a fail, Mark. You understand? He had multiplied it 500%. But he did not use the words good and faithful servant. That's what I'm talking about all of these things. So it's not about trying to get God to say, eh, like I'll give him that scared thing. I said, no, I'm not here talking about whether your skirt is long, even though that pulling principle is a stupid principle, but you know, <laughs> that's not what I'm discussing. But I'll use as an example. 
That's why it's not like, okay, they say it must reach my kneecap. You now go and get a tape and measure it. Your question should be, why did they choose the kneecap? Do you understand my point as an example? Why? What are they trying to achieve? Okay, it's about decency. Why do I have to get to a point where they are checking what is this length or this length? Just learn the principle behind it and try and go beyond the minimal. Are you getting my point? You tell somebody, make sure you are home by 8 o'clock. He gets home 8, 7, 59, 30 seconds. You see, you've missed the point. And the people that are blessed, the Bible says, are those who are what? Willing and obedient. I, if, if I get into this, I'm going to get stuck here because I'm about to shoot into the area of marriage now. Yeah, let me go there. Just for five minutes, all right? I must, I'll try my best. That's why, you see, the principle of submission is one thing that, and I, that I was telling you about it, that women have not done very well in, simply, not because they are bad, but because most pastors don't even understand it. So they've not been well taught. The men have been very well taught when it comes to loving their wives. They have been very well taught. They've, oh God, they've drilled their heads. Once they become Christians, they teach them, like when we were in school those days, they teach us how to take care of our sisters. I used to make a joke of it that if you see two men carrying a fridge or carrying load and entering female hostel, and one girl is following them behind and smiling, no, they are Christians. They are the only ones that do those things. Unbelieving boys will never do it because the insult they'll get in class. But Christian boys were taught it. You know, so, the, so the sisters they used to do, they just carry all the load, come, say, what do we do? Let's go and visit these brothers. They just go there. Hey, brother Bangi, how now? Hey, brother Jukes. After they finish greeting you for five minutes, we have load near the car park. We need to move it into our rooms. And you see the brothers go very diligently. They are not ashamed. They bend. They share the load. They carry it. And the lady won't carry anything more than her handbag. Uh, they will follow her to her room, put this one here, put this one there. Thank you very much. Ah, you people are very sweet. That is all. And we're not ashamed of the gospel. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> no, we were taught that thing from the time we were on campus. All right? Men generally carry that into marriage. They generally do that, okay? But women have not really been taught well about submission. Those who want to sit on the matter, they end up teaching on obedience, one thing God did not command the wives in the New Testament concerning. He commanded the children, obey your parents in the Lord. Wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Did he not know there was obedience and submission? Why didn't he use the word obedience for the wives? Because that was not the concept. Like I said, I'm just digressing there for a moment, but I know you're enjoying it, so I'm going to stay there for <laughs> The difference between obedience and submission is this. Obedience is about instruction. Do, don't. Get here, sit down. Have your bath, go to bed, read your homework. But submission is about attitude, principles, you know, is about subjecting to tap into wisdom. That's it. So that even if there is no instruction on the matter, you just hear things like, ah, my husband wouldn't like it like that. No, my husband said, he has never spoken on that subject, but you take him, you see, you, that's why, listen, just by the way, can I digress further? That's why women, should I marry this man, not marry this man? There's only one question do you, do you need to ask. Do I respect him? If I don't, don't marry him. That is, what, what I mean is this. If he cannot command your respect, just leave the matter. It's not money. Do you get my point? That's it, because that is the issue. If, if a man can't command your respect, just ignore it. Because that's the main issue. It's not about, you know, look, 
There are women that don't, nobody commands their respect. Please let them remain single. There's no point looking for trouble. The reason, the principle of submission is that you have to look up. Okay, let me give an example. You know the way you are in class and you listen to your lecturer? That's submission. You come and just assume that he knows I don't. You may not really like him. Are you getting my point? You may sometimes even disobey him. But generally, you have a, let me sit under to, un, to listen to you attitude. That's what submission is about. I'm almost getting stuck here. I'll drop one more line. Bishop, remind me that I said I want to teach on the ministry of the husband. Yes. Remind me that I said I want to teach on it. You that nodded vigorously there, you actually are so more. Today you are the one nodding more than before. It's good. I think you are catching vision. It's good. Giving a revelation is coming to him. Amen? Now, why I use the word ministry is because it's an anointing and it can be provoked. Let me give an example. Now, I'm a teacher of the word. If I come in here and nobody's paying attention to me, the words don't flow. It's a spiritual principle. What draws at the anointing is the heart of the people who are paying attention to you. When their hearts are open, the thing starts flowing. In the same manner, if you're in a Christian home, please don't go and teach this to unbelievers. These are Christian principles. If you're in a Christian home, the man is anointed. So he has a responsibility to stir up the gift of God upon him. And number two, the wife has a duty to draw it down by faith. There are times you will tell your husband, I'm not going to do anything if you don't see anything. He's confused, doesn't know what to say. So just sit down and say, well, we'll leave it now. So then say, what have you done about it? Nothing. Why? You haven't said anything. Then that starts thinking, okay. At that point in time, the Holy Spirit starts talking to him. This husband's job is, is, is it's, there's grace. If I feel like laying hands on somebody, to receive the grace to be a good husband. Don't come except you are married. Afterwards, I have for five people. Seriously, no, hands. It's grace. It's grace. It's, it's a gift of God. It's not education. It's not experience. It's not how many books you have read. It's the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began to speak in other tongues, you understand, and to prophesy. When a man marries and the Holy Spirit comes upon him, he begins to speak some wisdom that he doesn't know. Why? Because it's being pulled down through him by faith. Very important. So wives have a responsibility to don't. By the time you say, "Don't mind my husband," he never says anything sensible. What you are doing is that you are cutting off that grace. Even if he tries to tap it by himself, it can't flow to you. It's blocked. That's submission. Are you getting my point? Now, like I said, it's digression. So I was trying to explain the, a, a particular principle. Okay, so using that um, submission thing as an example, that we, we Christians we're not just trying to obey this, obey that. We want to excel, and you cannot excel except you are tapping into the, the look, let, me, let me just explain, that submission principle. So it's not just them, um, they said my sketch should be this length, all right? So I go and measure it, and my mind, my heart is actually in a shorter one, but I have to obey the law, so I make it to an exact 0.1 millimeters of the minimum required. And I'm going to say to Christians, you should try and excel. You should try and go beyond. That's why Jesus said, if they tell you, tell you, go with me one mile, what do you do? Go with him two. The concept is that we have to excel. Because with the Lord Jesus, especially under the age of Christianity, it is not just about obedience. 
It's about excelling. So Jesus said, look, this man, one came with five minas. It was good. It wasn't bad. But the man that he said to, well done, good and faithful servant, that one came with ten. And I'm saying to us, many things we are praying about, you know, like these people, as you can see, they were expecting a kingdom. They wanted a kingdom. They kept on asking. Even after Jesus rose from the dead, you know, they asked him. What was the next question they asked him? Were you at this time? Now, when he was heading to Jerusalem, they said, maybe now. But he got there. He said, I will go and come back. So, okay, when he died and all the commotion that followed it happened, they said, all right, okay, that's what he, that was what he meant when he said, I will go. So now, when he rose from the dead, he said, okay, he has come back. He has taken the kingdom. And I said, will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel? Again, they had missed it. They had missed it. And I can assure you of one thing, believers, that's our own message too. We Christians, Christians must, also be, must also understand that message. Let's, not, let's stop looking for when he will do it. Let's prepare for our role when it will come. Uh, are you getting my point here? That is, he gave us minas. I've multiplied it to five. Five is good. But why can't I do ten? If I do ten and it doesn't come, I go for a hundred. If I do a hundred, it doesn't come, I go for a thousand. But the point is that I keep pushing. I keep pushing. Always trying to get better in every area. Always trying to be more productive with the things that he has given me to do. Always trying my best to become more like the Lord Jesus. Because those are the things, listen to this, that are actually hindering his coming back. In spiritual things, measures exist. Measures exist. Measures exist. Now, just by the way, I want to digress again. That's why, listen, you know, a lot of churches, they're always plant, planting branches. There's one major mistake they make. You know the mistake? They plant the branches based on the amount of members they have and the amount of money they have. Or the amount, amount of territory they want to conquer. Those are the things that they used to choose branching. But you know what they are supposed to have used? They should have, because the system we use, we use pastors, okay? Let's not discuss whether that is the ideal or not, but let's just take it like that for now. What they should have used is, you plant a new branch when you have a pastor. Not plant a branch and start looking for. I don't know whether you get what I'm going to say here. Until you have men, in quotes now, who have multiplied the minas that you can put in charge of cities, you don't go there. But at the end of the day, nothing's going to happen to you. The thing will not progress. The thing will not grow. Why am I saying this? Because many times what God wants to do, he's watching, he doesn't want waste. So he's watching whether he has enough. So when he doesn't have, he waits. So many times people are praying, Lord, let the kingdom come. Let the kingdom come. The Lord said, listen, kingdom is ready. The only problem I have is that when I return, will I find faith? You know, I'm adapting that one now. Will I find enough men to distribute over the cities? Those are the issues. Like that, that branching thing I'm talking about, that's why we start having problems. We start promoting all kinds of people to become pastors. All kinds. People that, look, they don't belong there. It becomes a burden. That's why you start lying to them. That when you do this, God will bless you. The guy is only doing it because looking for divine blessing. But his gift is not there. He doesn't have the ability. He doesn't have it. Then scandals will break out. We start spreading all kinds of bad doctrines. Those are the problems in Christianity. We don't understand some certain principles. But let's not sit on that. What I want to bring out is that each person must understand that except I'm prepared, I'm hindering what God wants to do. Each person must bear it in mind. Except I am prepared, I am hindering what the Lord wants to do. You know, it's so easy to sit down and be complaining, complaining, complaining. What's wrong with this country? What is wrong with Nigeria? What is wrong with Nigeria? I have discovered, instead of complaining, 
Each person is supposed to be preparing for what God wants to use him to do. He said, how do I know? It is simple. Each day, he has given you something to be occupied with. I, I hope you get my point here. So you are supposed to put your effort inside there. First of all, now please read my book if you haven't, How to Work for God. There's a first principle, there's a first job for everybody, which is each person, you are working, look, it's work. It is work. You are working on developing Christ's character in you. You are working on developing Christ's character in you. That is the first assignment. Number two, he has given you something for the day to do. And that is where he says you should excel. I I feel sorry for many of us. We are working maybe in government, state government and all of that. And we, we every day, we are so busy explaining what is wrong. We don't realize that he will soon come back and ask you, how well did you do with what I gave you? So just do your best wherever you are. That's the point. Just do your best wherever you are. Because he needs people that he will put in charge of cities when he returns. He needs people who Christ-likeness has been matured in them when he returns. These disciples, you see, they were occupied with, when are you coming back? When are you doing this? What will be the sign of your return? But if you see, his own emphasis always was, just be ready. I can come at any time. You make sure you are always ready. Make sure you are always multiplying your minas. Make sure your life is always improving character-wise. Make sure you're always getting better at whatever I have called you to do. Whether you are, a, I mean, whatever you are used to describe, I mean, that is used to describe you. For example, you want to, I'm standing here now, you can describe in many ways. One, I'm a teacher of the word of God. Two, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a Nigerian citizen. I'm a Nugu resident. You know, I'm your friend. I'm your brother. Are you getting my point? You know, I lead Kingdom World Ministries. I'm a, that is, anything that is used to describe you, keep on excelling in it. I've described myself now with at least five, six different things. As a friend, I must get better. As a teacher of the word, I must be better. You are getting my point here. As a husband, I must be better this year than I was last year. As a father, I must, anything that's used to describe me, I must be better in it. I sent a tweet out the other day, and it's so true. Never run, listen. God has given you gifts and talents. And the way we apply it is so true. For example, I use myself as an example. I'm a teacher of the word. You've left everything you have to do this evening to come and listen to me. Or you're listening to this on our website. There are many websites you could have clicked on. You clicked on this one to listen to this. Do you follow? You are proving to me that I'm called of God to teach the word. Are you getting my point? Now, that must be for me, therefore, a place where I must excel. That's one. Number two, because I have that gift, hmm, I must remember that he will show up and ask what I did with it. He has his yardstick for measuring it. There are many, but let me just give us an example. Now, there are a lot of things I understand. He will say, have you taught those things? Did you write them down? You know, this, you know today, I was just... Um, I was going through some things. I was saying, Chooks, I sent you that message. I just said, look, let's immediately after today. It's important. I just realized that that magazine we packaged, I looked through it. That 12 pages, right? They don't get easily thrown away. They get discarded, but somebody else picks them up. There's so many things inside them to read. 
So I, I looked at a number of things. I said, ah, this is good information for believers. So next question is, why don't you bring them out more often? That's why instantly I sent you that message. I said, please, let's see at the end of today. This one of doing it anytime we like, I think it's irresponsible. You know, if our salaries were tied to it, you know, we'll find time. It's true. It's because nobody is paying us. That's why we oh, what is it? You are actually accountable to somebody who gave you the gift. All right? Don't forget that the person who gave you the gift is going to return one day. And he will demand you give account of it. So, if we could have blessed people by releasing that. In fact, I wanted to send to him that at least 12 times a year. And I said, take it slowly, 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 slowly. Let's start with the frequency I told you, you understand? Then let's keep improving it. The, the reason is because that's an avenue to release something that God has given to us. He's going to ask. In that tweet, I said, never abandon the opportunity for such things for where money is plenty. You know, many people will get up. You are gifted in that area. You know it's the gift of God in your life. For example, you are Bezalel. You make artistic designs and all of that. that you know, it was one by assisted them, Moses. Then somebody will tell you. This actually happened to one of my colleagues. He told me a story of one young man near his area. The man makes shoes. Now what I want to say, we sound, um, and let me just say it. The guy, young man makes shoes. And he showed me one of the shoes the man made and he was wearing. And in what alarmed that one day, this guy was killed, you know, skilled. The one day he looked for the young man, he didn't find him again. Ah, finally he got information. Where is he? They say he has gone to Abuja. What is he in Abuja? He says his friends came from Abuja and told him that he will make more money if he comes to Abuja to come and sell Ghana must go. His friends were selling bags somewhere in Abuja, maybe traffic or whatever. And the bag business was moving. So this man that makes shoes, I, I hope he has started making shoes in Abuja because when we start telling you that things are booming, most of the time, I hope you know it's a lie. They just have to feel good. You don't know they are trying to feel good. You are believing them. This young man abandoned it to go and start selling Ghana must go. So your skill for making shoes, you know, how are you going to handle it now that you are selling Ghana must go? The only reason why he left selling, making shoes to Ghana, for those who don't know what Ghana must go, is bag. What is the proper English name for Ghana must go? Somebody says sack. We all know sacks. I know Ghana must go is a unique kind of sack. You know the interesting about Ghana must go? That's what they also call it in Ghana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. The day I got to the, my wife and I went to the market in Accra, I was surprised that they said, okay, you go put on for Ghana must go. I'm like, what? You also call it Ghana must go? <laughs> in Accra, in Accra, Ghana. <laughs> anyway, it's a form of bag anyway. So this young man decided that's what he wants to be doing, selling Ghana must go. So he closed his shop and he left. You know, People don't realize that you have to give account for everything this is your life. And anytime Satan wants to bait you away from where God has kept you, think about it, even if you were Satan, what will you do? It's not money you will offer. So I tell people, never abandon the opportunity you have for you know, multiplying your talents. So take up the opportunity to multiply money. I said, because when the Lord comes back, he will not ask about money. Because he said, 
Do business with this until I come. Do business with this until I come. Which means that it is what he gave. You know, that's why it makes me laugh when he talks Nigerians who go abroad and then you ask, what are you trying to do? Now, like I said last time, you can go abroad and go anywhere. Nothing wrong with it. It's why that's the issue. I have found that a lot of people don't care as long as they eventually get a job that pays money. And Christians who must have a different perspective to life. Many problems we are complaining about in our society, the solution is right now in London. What is the solution? One guy who left and decided to go and live in London. That's the solution. That's what I mean. I keep on telling a lot of people who relocate, all right? That be careful that you don't disappear into irrelevance. That is the one that concerns me. You just disappear into irrelevance. For what? That is the one. Look, you know, I keep on emphasizing. I have no problem with relocating. I have a number of people that are doing very good. That is, as far as I'm concerned, God bless them. Bless their movement and all of that. But you must bear something in mind. The Lord is not going to ask you how much money did you make in your lifetime unless that was your own calling. And usually when that's your calling, you know how there's a way. There's what is called grace. Those who have such callings don't struggle to get money. No. Money looks for them. Just looks for them and attaches to them. Then it upsets me when I think about that. Don't you realize your life is, about, is supposed to count? You're not here to count money. Your life is supposed to count. You should die and people be, that these things will spoil, that you died. Are you, I don't know where you get my point. That things will just scatter. That this man died. And I saw many things that were supposed to be done are no longer being done. We're having a lot of problems replacing him. That's what life is about. Look, let's not forget it. Oh. One day the Lord will actually come back. He will return one day. You know? And say, hey, okay, Mute, how far? So sit down, sit down, give account. I gave you this grace. What happened? Ah. I had issues. So. Money was not good. Now I run. He said, do you realize that because of that, some people's mumu never do. <laughs> They are still going up and down in their mumu state because he didn't teach them the freedom that's in Christ. Yes, <laughs> he said, Lord, I tried. After two services, I checked the offering. I calculated that before I pay for the hall, I pay myself some money so my wife and children can eat. I realized that <laughs> their mumu never do true truth. If to say don't do, <laughs> they forgive something. And you know the truth? He doesn't listen to excuses. Sometimes I wonder when people just get up and deliberately make a choice by which they disappear into irrelevance. The other lie I hear a lot of times is that when I've established, I'll now return and do ministry. I've never seen one person who did that. Now, that's for those of us who are in the preaching area. Never seen. I have never seen one person who did that successfully. I've seen many who tried You, in fact, you know, let me tell you something about Christianity before I say what I want to say now.
Let me tell you something about Christianity. Christianity is not a passport to quick wealth. It's not the way by which God makes people rich without stealing. Because sometimes we think that's what it is. That I'm going to be rich in life. I'm not going to steal. I'm going to employ these principles that everyone believers use. I will tithe and I give and I pray and I fast. All of it so I can be rich. Let me say something to you. It is not everybody that God has given the job of being rich the way we know rich in the world today. A few Christians have that. God is not trying... I know you're not competing who built a house first. Paul did not build a house I'm aware of. Are you aware of that? Did you, where was his house? Ephesus. If, when you are going down the um, Romano Street, just before the Herodias Avenue, that district, all right, the, you know, the salvation layout, the biggest house in that area is for Apostle Paul. That was the high, you know, senior apostolic, what, 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 what do they call that? Uh, no, no, personage. Uh, yes, that was a senior apostolic personage where he stays when he's coming. Uh, did you ever hear of that? What you hear Paul who, who say is I was here for three years. I was working on the side to make sure I teach the word of God at no charge. He will tell you I was receiving offerings from other churches to support the ministry here so that I will make sure nothing obstructs the movement of the word. What you will hear Paul say that there were times we were hungry. What you hear Paul, when Paul finished describing, so if you think that Christianity is the way by which you hammer, oh boy, forget that thing. What did I say? Forget, forget that. that. Christianity is how we serve God. That's it. And he chooses how we serve him. I, I don't know whether I get my point. Let's not look at it as if it's a pathway. Now, you see, what I'm saying so is that people forget what is first. Seek you first the kingdom of God. There are things that must be first. There are things that must be first. So people have, a lot of times people will just leave ministry matter. Let's go and hammer first. When we finish hammering, for those who don't know the Nigerian meaning of hammer, when we don't blow, is that, is that not worse? <laughs> when we have made it financially, we will now return. And people will now know we didn't come to ministry to make money. They see the cars we drove into the person the day we resumed duty. They know it's not hunger that brought us here. Listen, you don't, your name is not Saul. You are not accounting to those people. You are accounting to the Lord who gave you the gift. Let them think you came to look for money. Maybe you are the one that knows you didn't come to look for money. And your master knows what matters, what they think. And listen, in case you don't realize it, the world has not changed. No matter what you do, they have, they will have something to say. You know, if I ask, you know, there's this contribute faith thing I'm always telling people. When I'm talking to my classmates sometimes, when people, have you seen this picture before? They posted the picture of, is it the Luxembourg Prime Minister or one Prime Minister somewhere who rode a bicycle to, to, go and, to go and announce to the king that to set up his cabinet. They sent it to me say, hoping that one day Nigerians will be like this. Now, I asked the person, which American president has ridden the bicycle? Are they not greater than all the other countries in the world? Have you seen American president riding bicycle? After he enter office, another American will shoot him. You know now. <laughs> now, you see what I'm talking about. I said, look, why do you guys always like to glorify what has been done elsewhere? I said, if it's us that did it now, we'll insult ourselves. Which kind of useless country is this? We don't even have enough money to put vehicles there for our, for our prime ministers to use. 
Then one man now said, one of my colleagues now said, remember the day of the days of Ojuma Dweke. Now they were laughing at him. When he was, like, was he not riding bicycle? Did we commend him? We abused him well. Is that our problem? What am I going to say? Forget people. They will always talk. Forget people. They will always talk. Their mouth was made for talking. Remember that parable of the man and his son on the horse? On the donkey. And the people said, wicked people, you want to kill the donkey. So the man came down and told the man, the boy, you stay on the horse. They were riding the horse, the donkey, sorry. People said, this boy is very disrespectful. How can his father be walking while he's on the donkey? So the man said, okay, let's do it like this. Oh boy, come down. Let me stay on the donkey. They said, wicked father. The man said, okay, what do we do? All right, let's leave the donkey. Let two of us be walking. So the donkey was going in front. Two of them were walking behind. Ah, I wish you understood, because I first heard that thing from Ebenezer Obey when I was young. I wish you, I could give you the Yoruba word for what they said next. They said, ah, Eruaye. You know what Eruaye? Slaves of the world. Now look at these people. They are Eruaye. The lowest of slaves. Donkey is riding, going free. They are trekking. Useless slaves, people. The man now said, okay. I have seen, I've tried every combination. Two of us on the donkey, you called us wicked. Two of us trekking, you called us Eruaye. Me on the donkey, you called me stupid and wicked. My son on the donkey, you called him disrespectful. So Ebenezer said, no matter what you try, you can never satisfy human beings. I was young when Preachers, pastors were known for not having cars, for driving, for wearing sandals, and having holes in their clothes. I know the insults SU people got that time. Now we are flying private jets, and not all of us, so just a few of us. Yet, insult upon insult. What am I going to say? Do what you are supposed to do. That's one area where I like Bishop Oedipo more than anybody else. You don't, do you hear his comments in the papers? I'll abuse him from now till tomorrow. He won't talk to you. Tell him investing is expensive. Mm-hmm. Tell him it is cheap. Mm-hmm. Why are you finding private jet? Mm-hmm. Why should you have more than one? Mm-hmm. It's as if the man does not even read newspapers. <laughs> it's only occasionally you know he knows when he passes one comment while preaching. Like those of you who went to Wafbeck that time, he came and said, Well, I've just ordered, is it the second or the third private jet? jet and we have no apologies to any devil. <laughs> That's all. We are not apologizing to any devil. And I think you should lead your life like that. Now, you have to live like that because, you see, if you don't, all this one of, uh, I need to build a house to impress my people, that pastors are not poor people. Listen to me, pastors are poor people. Don't worry about it. They are poor people. What, what does it matter? Paul was poor. But don't rationalize. Paul didn't have money. That poor that you are reading his letter every day, he did not have money. You don't know many travels you wanted to travel. There was no money. Thank God, if you had money, there are letters you can't read, you won't be reading today. So let's go. We can't go. Go and use the money to buy a book. Yeah, Timothy, right. I wanted to come to you. <laughs> what I was in that. <laughs> and please, don't tell me he didn't have revelation. He knew what mattered. He knew what mattered. So if you want to serve the Lord, serve the Lord. Let's get that clear. 
If you want to serve the Lord, serve him. If you want anything, ask him. Are you getting my point? No, really, you know, God, it, he will give anything you ask. Especially if you can just reasonably defend it. Now, that defense is not for him, really. It's more for your faith to be strong. If I decide and I say, Lord, give me a private jet. I want my own too. Once I say my own too, cancelled. Because you can see that in my own too, it's like everybody else, you know, they get now. Half hour. They have their own. Where's my own? But if I say to him sincerely, that sir, I'm supposed to be preaching today in Kaduna. I wasn't able to make it because by the time I was done preaching in Oka, 